Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikbat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvatisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Vinu, uh, thank you for your presence this morning. We pray that your word would go forth and encourage your people, O God, and build up your community. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. It was a dark and stormy night. Well, actually, it was, it was calm and clear night, but only at first. We brave few headed out to the Sukkot campsite to celebrate our frailty. <laughs> Some of you know where I'm going with this. Celebrate our frailty and God's provision in actual tents. Right? But of course, Jewish camping means there are bathrooms with running water close by. So, But in all other ways, in all other respects, we were vulnerable to the elements. Boy, were we ever. Everyone's uh, little radar on their phone said that there was a huge storm heading our way around 3 a.m. in the morning. But in the meantime, we were safe and dry. We prayed for protection from the storm. We cooked in tin foil uh, over the open fire based on in- instructions from Chef Meggie. So thank you for that. We shook the lulav. We had s'mores. We played games. In preparation for the rain, we put everything under a canopy because we knew it was coming. I was with my temporary snuggle buddy, Andrew. I think he might be downstairs, so uh, we can feel free to talk about him. My, my regular snuggle buddy, which is my wife, was not present. So, you know, it gets cold at night. So what are you going to do? So the next morning, I was awakened around 8 a.m. to Eric sounding the alarm with his voice. The great flood is upon us. I was half asleep, and so I thought, oh, he's, he must be exaggerating. And I'm not really a morning person, so I didn't really pay much heed to what he was saying. You know, what can I say? It takes me a while to wake up, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm talking to Sonia. <laughs> I'm telling the story here, Eric. <laughs> All right, where was I? Um, yes, yeah, so it takes me a while. So eventually, my need to use uh, the, the restroom overtook my desire to be warm and dry, so I ventured out around 8.30, and it turns out that Eric had not been exaggerating. Apparently, they had all been up since about 6 a.m. or earlier, packing up all of Tikvot's stuff and all of their stuff, and, uh, you know, there were, like, little tiny rivers flowing through our campsite. I mean, it, it kept coming down. And uh, uh, so they, they thought uh, of just letting Andrew and me sleep, right? So that when we awoke, we'd have thought there was some kind of rapture or some kind of, uh, you know, giant ark, the last stop of the ark that we missed. And so we were just there. Um, but they didn't do that. And so I have been told that Eric has since forgiven me is that, is that, yeah, okay, good. We have confirmation. <laughs> Thank God. All right. Um, 
but uh, you know, I did I did sleep in afterwards. Of course, we did take shelter in the in the ark that of our vehicles, and uh, later in the ark of the nearest Cracker Barrel. Yes. So overall, it was a great camping trip, and I can't wait for Sukkot next year. Well, I can wait a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. Did you know that every week, our worship leader and elder, David Haller, sends out a song list to his team, but he always includes a little nugget of encouragement because he's an encouraging guy, and usually connected to the Parsha or the festival around that time, so he didn't know I was going to do this, but um, this is a quote from this week's email that I get. Quote, <clears throat> Hello, everyone. So this week's Parsha is about Noah and building the ark. We have been dealing with a little bit of a flood ourselves with water coming in the kitchen at Tikvot when it rains heavy. I don't think we are going to need an ark, but I have been talking to a couple contractors about repairing and waterproofing our foundation behind the sink and stove. That's downstairs. While Tikvot's physical foundation is in need of a little repair, our spiritual foundation is standing on Yeshua, our solid rock. In Him, we have strength for eternity, unquote. Isn't that a nice little nugget? Yeah. So I'm relating all these anecdotes, of course, because this week we've come to Parashat Noach, which deals primarily with the flood story. I mentioned last week that there was a a three-tiered worldview behind the book of Genesis. So what does that mean? Well, sometimes it's helpful to understand how the ancient Near Eastern people thought about the structure of the world to kind of get the most out of the creation account and the rest of the Torah. I also mentioned last week that it helps to think like an ancient person, right? We had a couple ancient people here, but that's not what I meant. I meant a person from, you know, long ago, all right? So they thought of the world in three parts. You have the heavens, which was the dome of the sky, and then you have the earth, and then you have the waters. Now, they believed that the waters were not only underneath, but also behind the dome of the sky, which is why... It rained, right? So think about that. Why is the rain coming from the sky? Because it's the heavens are breaking through, right? So it's breaking through the dome of the sky. Uh, and they also thought of the waters as representing uh, chaos. And there are other uh, ancient uh, creation accounts in Babylon which shows the gods fighting and struggling with the waters of chaos to, to uh, bring about the creation of the world. What makes the Torah unique, of course, as compared to these other accounts, is that God, Elohim, does not struggle with the chaos. He doesn't struggle with the waters. Have you noticed that in, in the Torah? He is over, he is, his ruach hovers over the waters. He's in total control of the waters. Um, and there's two waters that are mentioned. There's the waters of the deep, which is below. That's Tehom in Hebrew. Can you try that? To home, and then there's the waters above, uh, sometimes referred to as Mabul. Mabul um, was in this week's. Uh, Clarine actually read that it means flood, right? So they think of the the flood as up there, and the tohum, the deep. So whenever you re- read something in the Torah about the great deep, right, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about those those waters. 
In the beginning, remember, God created the heavens and the earth, right? These are the two areas that are the focus, the foci, focuses, right? Of, of Scripture and how God eventually brings them together, right? He's the Lord. We just sang us a song about it, right? Maker of the earth and the sky, right? He's the God of heaven and earth, right? And the earth, the land part, was waste and wild, and darkness was over the face of the deep, the tahom. And the ruach of God hovered over the surface of the waters, and God said, let there be... Light, right. That, of course, was last week's Parsha, but I'm just setting this up here. In many ways, the flood story of Noah is a reversal and then a restoration of the creation story. Because of the wickedness of humanity, we're talking violence, gross immorality, rejection of God as king and father and creator, murder, anger, etc., all these things, the waters of chaos are re-released onto the earth, kind of reverts it back to before the beginning. Proverbs 8, which personifies wisdom as the one through whom God creates, it, it puts the creation in this perspective, so we kind of get a sense of this. This is uh, Proverbs 8, starting in verse 27. When he set the heavens in place, I was there. The I is, who, who's the I in this case? Wisdom, personified wisdom. When he inscribed the horizon on the face of the ocean, when he established the skies above, when he securely fixed the fountains of the deep, when he set boundaries for the sea so that the waters never transgress his command. Somebody say, boundaries for the sea. Right? So he's controlling the waters of chaos. He's saying you can only come to here. Of course, in Messianic Judaism, we recognize, as Paul says, that Yeshua is what? The power and wisdom of God. That means that Yeshua is this personified wisdom. In other words, God created all things through wisdom. This is in the Jewish, the, the, the ancient Jewish text, right? Um, which is Yeshua the Messiah. That's not my main point here, but I just wanted to connect those dots a little bit. So here we have the sense, what's going on? God is holding back the waters of chaos to create order, to establish creation order. And then in the, in the flood, what does he do? He releases the waters of the deep and the flood from the sky in the days of Noah. But then after, he restores creation again. So there's a kind of a cycle and there's a story that goes through. This year, of course, we're um, diving into the Haftarah portions because we're trying to learn more about God's word, about his Torah and the Tanakh. And this week's Haftarah portion comes from Isaiah 54, which we read a little bit, and it kind of reappears a couple times in the, in the Haftarah readings during the year. But it has this connection. Did you notice when Juan read it that it had a connection to the Noah, to the Noah story? So um, we're going to read a, a big chunk of it here because I want us to get a sense of how Isaiah uses the Noah story in a new way. Right? He's taking this story and, and reapplying it. You see, Israel was feeling rejected and abandoned because of her sins and mistakes. And where was she now? 
She was in exile, right. And so Isaiah comforts her with these words, and we get a sense of what, uh, of what those ancient waters of chaos are representing now. It's kind of different. It's really interesting. So let's read it together. All right, you want to read with me? All right, here we go. Sing, barren one who has not given birth. Burst into singing and shout, you who have not travailed. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married one, says Adonai. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your tabernacle curtains. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right hand and to the left. Your offspring will possess the nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed, nor cringe, for you will not be disgraced. You will forget the shame of your youth, and you will remember the reproach of your widowhood no more. For your maker is your husband. Adonai Tsevaot is his name. That's the Lord of angel armies. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He will be called God of all the earth. For Adonai has called you back like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of one's youth that is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but I will regather you with great compassion. In a surge of anger I hid my face from, for, from you a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says Adonai, your Redeemer. For this is like, what? The waters of Noah to me. For as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more cover the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. Though the mountains depart and the hills be shaken, my love will not depart from you. Let's say that again. My love will not depart from you, nor will my covenant of peace be shaken, says Adonai, who has compassion on you. Afflicted one, storm-tossed, unconsoled, behold, I set your stones in antimony, lay your foundations with sapphires, make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children will be taught by Adonai. Your children will have great shalom. I know that's a long passage, but you kind of get, if you read all of it, you get a sense of what Isaiah is saying. Isn't that really nice and comforting? The waters of chaos here, notice they've become associated with rejection and shame. And we can all relate to this. Reading about the primordial waters of chaos, that makes us sometimes feel distant from the text. But a flood of water that leaves us hurt leaves us feeling rejected, feeling ashamed of ourselves and our past, this is understandable. This we can, we can relate to. Israel here is going through the challenges of this world. Barrenness, being far from home in the exile, but notice how God responds. The creator is our husband redeemer, Right? Think of the story of Ruth, right? The kinsman redeemer. The flood does come, the waters of rejection for a moment, but his acceptance and our belonging in him is forever. Think of a faithful husband 
that you know. Perhaps you're even married to one, right? But God is like that, but even, even more so. If we, being humans, can be faithful husbands to our wives, then how much more is the Lord a faithful husband, as it says in the text? Uh, God is connecting all of these covenants together, right? So there's a covenant of Noah in those days where he says, I will restore the earth and I'm not going to send my flood anymore. Then we have the covenant of marriage, right? Which is the promise of faithfulness. And it, it encompasses all the covenantal love, which is chesed of God and his people. And just like when Noah came out of the ark, we see that God will bring judgment briefly in response to the depravity of humanity, but always with the purpose of restoring, of recreation. What is he restoring? He's restoring Eden, right? He's restoring the garden. When we enter adolescence, often we start to develop our sense of identity based on our experience. Starting in middle school, my sense of identity was tied to these ideas of rejection and shame. And I went through these patterns of guilt and rejection and relationships that did not have good boundaries. And my sense of self as a teenager was rooted in these kind of relationships and friendships, which, you know, for most of us is true. And we have all made mistakes in our youth. We have all experienced some element of the waters of shame and rejection and chaos that were pounding on the boat. But we need to realize that Hashem provides an ark. He doesn't take us out of the waters of rejection and shame, but he takes us through the waters in his ark of rescuing. In Hebrew, Noah's giant boat is called, does anyone know the word? Teva. Can you try that? Teva. And uh, guess where else this word appears? The Hebrew word. This is from Exodus 2, verses 1 to 3. See if you can figure out which word is Teva. Now a man from the house of Levi took as his wife a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived, and she gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was delightful, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took a basket of papyrus reeds, coated it with tar and pitch, put the child inside, and laid it on the reeds by the bank of the Nile. So which word is teva? Yeah. So <laughs> that was good. You guys are on point, right? And notice that she's coating it with tar and pitch, just like the teva of Noah, right? It's the same thing. The word for basket, which helps baby Moses, is the same as the ark of Noah. Have you ever thought about that? Moses wasn't rejected by his mother. He was accepted by her through this rescuing ark. You know, when we repent, we tend to focus on ourselves. And the flood of life can make us feel like we're drowning in our emotions. So check out what Jonah prayed from inside the belly of the great big fish his own very personal and dark and smelly ark, his own, his own teva. And this is what Jonah prays 
and see if we can see some of these themes of the waters um, coming through here. From my, from my distress, I cried to Adonai, and he answered me. From the belly of Sheol, I cried for help, and you heard my voice. For you hurled me from the deep, that's to home, right? into the heart of the seas, and currents swirled around me. All your waves and your breakers swept over me. Sounds like what? Sounds like a flood, right? Okay. And I said, I have been banished from before your eyes, yet I will continue to look toward your holy temple. Water surrounded me up to my soul. The deep sea engulfed me. Reeds clung to my head. To the bottoms of the mountains I went down. The earth with her bars was around me forever, yet you brought my life up from the pit, Adonai, my God. As my soul was fading from me, I remembered Adonai. My prayer came to you toward your holy temple. Those who watch worthless, empty things forsake their mercy, but I, with a voice of thanks, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation, rescuing, Yeshua is from Adonai. See, Jonah here gets his focus off of himself after he's kind of processing the, the, the shame and rejection and anxiety that he's in. He's, you know, he's stuck in the bottom of, of the ocean, right? He feels like he's drowning here. After he goes through that, he's able to focus on the love and the protection of God in the midst of the storm. The Lord is our ark. He is our boat, our teva. And he is our hope and our rescuing. Remember, he has power over the waters of chaos and rejection and shame. He can stay them, right? His life-giving ruach, right? His spirit hovered over the waters in creation. His ruach, his wind, his spirit blew back the waters so that Noah could do what? He could leave the ark on the dry land. That's what the scripture says. It was a wind. It was a ruach. And then, in Exodus, his ruach did what? Split the waters of chaos, right? It blew back the waters so that Israel could go through the Red Sea. The fullness of the revelation of the God of Israel, Yeshua the Messiah, what did he do with the waters of chaos? He walked on the waters, right? He calmed the wind and the waves with just his voice. Remember the three-tiered universe I mentioned in creation? What's the end of the story with heaven and earth and the waters of the deep and the flood? What happens? Revelation 21, verse 1, tells us, Then I saw a new heaven... And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Remember, that's the whole story of the scripture is doing that. And the sea was what? No more. Now, if, if you had never read anything in scripture except for Revelation, you could be like, well, what, is, what does God have against the sea? What's wrong with the sea? You got the, the heavens and the earth, but why, why is he destroying the, 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 uh, the waters, right? Why are there no waters in the new creation. But we, we know the story, right? The Lord creates, the Lord cleanses, the Lord rescues, and then the Lord recreates after we mess things up. He is renewing 
the heavens and the earth, and he is destroying the powers of shame and rejection and chaos. From rejection and shame, he calls us to him. He accepts us like a husband. He loves you. He obliterates the shame of your past, and he gives you new life. Baruch Hashem. Let's pray. Avinu, our Father, we thank you that uh, you kept us safe um, while we were camping from the flood. You kept uh, our building safe from from the rains that have come in, Lord. Um, and uh, you have kept us safe from the flood of uh, of our mistakes and our shame and rejection and anxiety. And you have brought us through those things, through your teva, through your ark, Lord. And uh, you are f- so faithful, God. And uh, we ask that you help us to keep our eyes on you, Lord, and uh, and to be like Jonah, who turned from looking at the waters all surrounding him to looking at you in your holy temple, Lord, in, in, in your glory, because in you we have hope and the hope of restoration. And uh, we thank you that uh, you have brought us to this season and you are faithful. And we thank you that you love us. You love us no matter what, Lord. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.